we commenced this hour, though, in conversation with Dr. Roxy Manning. Uh, her new book is called The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and activism handbook. She's had a brilliant conversation with Dr. Bettina L. Love. Uh, her book is called Punished for Dreaming, about the war against black children in our schools. And so here we are now uh, continuing that conversation, <laughs> as it were, with Dr. Roxy Manning. Dr. Manning, good to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor to have you on. Thank you for the time that we have here. Um, the Anti-Racist Heart, a Self-Compassion and Activism Handbook. Um, Do- Dr. King uh, once said that we cannot legislate morality. We cannot legislate morality, which is another way of saying that uh, we can't legislate the way people feel in their heart. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. So when you speak of an anti-racist heart, how does that happen? How does one curate an anti-racist heart? I love that question, and especially the idea that we can't legislate morality. And I first got to say that it's important that we have the people doing the legislation, the people who are fighting to make sure that the laws that protect equity, that give us equity, happen. Mm-hmm. But we also need to start changing people's hearts and minds. And that's what my book is about. It's around how do we get people to reflect on some of the reasons why they have some of these beliefs, to notice when they're doing things that are causing harm, and to feel motivated to try to change it themselves, even if the legislation's not there. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Shakespeare once, not, not Shakespeare, um, um, Socrates, Socrates. I quoted Shakespeare last hour. Now I want to go to Socrates. Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. That's Socrates. The unexamined life is not worth living. What Socrates didn't tell us is that the examined life is hard. It's hard to look in the mirror. It's hard to be introspective. And so when you talk about the anti-racist heart and people taking stock of who they are, of being introspective, uh, that's really not the way that many human beings work and move, certainly in this country, uh, our arrogance, our hubris. I'm not so sure that people are willing to be as introspective as they need to be to examine their heart, uh, to, to, to curate, as I said earlier, an anti-racist heart. Maybe you feel differently. I'm just not sure that, that, we, that we're willing to be that, that introspective, particularly in a divisive moment like this in our democracy. But what do you say, Dr. Manning? Well, I think you're absolutely right that there are some people who are at the ends who are not willing at all. You know, they're doubling down on hate. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people that I come in contact with who say, I want to do better. I want to figure out how I can show up, how I can repair the harm I've caused, and they don't know how to do it. So that's who these books are for, the people who are saying, I recognize that harm has been happening, and we got to do better. Mm. And those people have been trying. Mm-hmm. What what does it mean? Let me just ask that a point blank question. What does it mean to try? What does that mean? Oh, good question, right? Because sometimes people just say, well, okay, I said something, I did it, let me just drop it now, like we're going to stop talking, and that's not trying. For me, trying means that, and especially when we're talking about dialogue, that I give you space to be heard fully about what, what your experience was, mm-hmm. right? So all too often, people are like, Okay, so you're saying that I said something that you didn't like. Okay, I heard you. Can we stop talking about it? But that's not actually trying. Trying means that I get to tell you not just what I understood from my perspective, but you get to empathize with me. Mm. You get to see my full humanity, and then we get to talk about how do we repair this. We get to move towards action. Mm. Is there a distinction in your mind between hearing and listening? 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you've been in a relationship where, you know, you and your partner are having a fight and you're like, I'm hearing you. And all you're doing <laughs> is hearing those words come in and they're going out and you're just like really killing time until it's over. Right. Yeah. That's hearing. But listening means that I'm actually trying to connect to your humanity. I'm trying to understand what's important to you. Even if I don't agree with what your experience was, I still want to see it from your perspective. I want to understand how did this impact you? How did it move you? And I'm really connecting to your needs. Her name is Dr. Roxy Manning. Her book is called The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and activism handbook. We'll go right inside the text when we come forward on Tavis Smiling. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. This is Dr. Roxy Manning. She's author of the book, The Anti-Racist Heart, a Self-Compassion and Activism Handbook. She's a clinical psychologist and certified trainer at the Center for Nonviolent Communication and offers her expertise uh, in this new book, The Anti-Racist Heart. Before I get back to the book itself, um, this notion that, uh, of what you do every day uh, as a certified trainer and psychologist at the Center for Nonviolent Communication, that jumped out at me uh, when we were prepping for your appearance on our program today. Um, what does it mean to be uh, engaged in communication that is nonviolent? So it's a, it's a wonderful turn of phrase, nonviolent communication, but unpack that for me, please. Sure thing. So a lot of your listeners are, of course, familiar with Dr. King. Mm -hmm. And the idea of nonviolence is coming from his work, from the idea of we need to show up with nonviolence in terms of how much we're holding love, holding compassion, holding care, but we're also showing up with fierceness. We're trying to make sure that we call out the harms that are happening in society to our peoples, to all peoples, and that every dialogue that we take, every action that we take, is trying to create equity without harming anyone else. Equity through building beloved community so that everybody's needs are met. And that's what we're doing when we're talking about nonviolence. How can we show up fiercely talking about the things that need to be talked about, but without shaming, blaming folks so that we're casting some people out? Yep. To your, to your, in, to your uh, invoking the word equity, uh, it seems to me that in this country we... Uh, scarcely talk about equality and I say scarcely when we do talk about it um, you know we get we give lip service to it and there's no real deep conversation about what it means to be uh, living in a society that is where people are truly equal again we pay lip service to it but we we, we, we can barely talk about equality but you're raising a very different issue which is equity uh, I don't know how we ever get to equity in a society that uh, doesn't even want to uh, really address the issue of equality your take well, I think we just got to keep working at it. So, yes, people don't want to address equality, much less give people what they actually need to start thriving to get to that like same level where all of their needs are being met. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that we give up on having those conversations. We give up on having um, taking action to create new laws, to do everything that needs to happen to create equity. And that's happening. There are people out there who are saying, yeah, I'm not going to stay quiet while you like take away resources from my child's school. I'm going to keep fighting for this. I'm not going to stay quiet while we have this school-to-prison pipeline that's disparately dis, um, affecting people of color dis, disproportionately. I'm going to speak up against that, and we're going to keep fighting that fight. And that's what I think is important when we're fighting for equity. Even though they don't want to hear it, we don't give up. Yeah. Um, so you use the word equity, hence my question about um, equality versus equity. 
You also used the word empathy, and I want to talk about empathy versus sympathy. Um, obviously, equity and equality are not the same thing. Empathy and sympathy are not the same things. Um, we can scarcely get to feeling sympathetic for people, but when we do, we never really find our way to being empathetic. And it seems to me in a nation, we discussed this earlier in the pro- program today, in a nation that is as divided as this country is, in a nation uh, that is on the precipice of, of, of failing, our democracy is fragile, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand better, trying to find a way to believe that we can ever get uh, beyond sympathy to true empathy in this country, being willing to put ourselves in the shoes of the other. We're in, a, we're, in, we're in a frame right now where everybody believes that the truth is whatever they determine it to be. Um, that's not hearing, that's not listening, it certainly ain't being empathetic, but what say you? Yeah, so I absolutely agree. Like, sympathy isn't working, because sympathy means that I'm feeling sorry for you, mm-hmm. but in the act of feeling sorry for you, I still see you as an other, as different from me. And empathy means that I'm actually seeing that we have shared humanity. We are actually kind of the same underneath the skin, different experiences, different lived experiences for sure. But at our core, we are still human beings. And that from that place of shared humanity, I feel moved by your experience and want to support equity. So I think it's possible. But how do we get there? Because that's what I'm hearing you ask. I think part of it is that we need to do a much better job of ending the kind of unspoken segregation that's still happening, right? Mm. Schools are still, like our neighborhoods are still very much like black neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. Asian neighborhoods. We're still segregating each other. We don't get to see each other, understand each other, talk to each other. And without that, we can't actually get to that place of empathy. So we need to find strategies to start increasing just even contact with different groups. You talked earlier, Dr. Manning, about connecting to the humanity in the other. Um, I have, let me preface this question. Uh, My view is, and I've said this repeatedly, this audience uh, has probably heard it uh, countless times, but my view is that, uh, that, that as human beings, we never come into the fullness of our own humanity unless and until we can revel in the humanity of the other. You will never experience the fullness of your own humanity unless you can respect and revel in the humanity of the other. Here you come now talking about um, the the challenge to connect to the humanity in the other. As we talk about the anti-racist heart, we have to connect to the humanity in the other. Um, help me understand how we do that in a, in a society, in a world where people continue to advance this notion that they don't see race. People advance this notion of colorblindness. Well, if you if you if you if you're colorblind, if 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 you don't see race, put another way, if you cannot see me for who I am, how could you possibly connect to my humanity? How could you possibly see that there is dignity and humanity in me? Absolutely. So you've mentioned um, the first book I wrote that just got released this month, um, How to uh, the Anti-Racist Heart. Mm-hmm. In my second book, How to Have Anti-Racist Conversations, I also talk about this piece, that we have been set up to to think it's okay not to see the other person's humanity, to say things like, we're so afraid of being called racist. Mm. If we say, I did something that was harmed, that we can't acknowledge that you are different than me, that you're black, you're Asian, you're Latinx, right? 
And if I can't do that, if I can't speak to the very real differences, not real as in race is real, it's constructed, but it's something that has meaning in today's society. And if I can't speak to that, I have no hope of understanding your experience. And so what I need to be able to do is to start with my inner work. I need to start losing the fear of acknowledging that, yes, we live in a society where we have treated people badly because mm-hmm. of their race, where we have killed people because of their race, and that I have been part of that system. And if I'm able to acknowledge that for myself, if I'm able to acknowledge how I feel afraid when I see, like I'm a black person, when I see a white person walking down the street who might want to harm me, I might feel fear. And I need to be able to acknowledge that that is real. And once we're able to acknowledge our real experience and to see these differences, we can start to heal from it. Mm. I want to go right inside the book now. Uh, In this thought-provoking work, uh, again, called The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and and activism handbook, um, Dr. Manning um, invites readers to embark on a transformative journey. Uh, She combines uh, neuroscience exercises, insightful questionnaires, and introspective, there's that word again, introspective journaling prompts. Take me inside the book and tell us what we see when we get inside your text. Mm-hmm. So the book, um, The End Race is Hard, I actually co-wrote um, with my colleague Sarah Payton. And one of the things that we do is we invite people to start to notice some of the unconscious contracts, the kind of agreements we make with ourselves that keep us from being able to do exactly the things that you've been naming on the show, that keep us afraid to face and fully acknowledge somebody else's humanity or to acknowledge where we might be creating harm. And if we're able to essentially travel backwards and understand why we've made these contracts with ourselves, a common contract is... I cannot do any harm because if I harm somebody, I'm going to be cast out. Maybe my mom will be mad at me. Maybe my um, community will reject me. And so we tell ourselves we can't do any harm. Mm -hmm. But if I have this contract, it also means I can't admit when I've done harm. And now we've got this barrier to being able to face reality. So we help people find and look at these contracts. And then we help them start to look at where do the conversations fall apart when we start to have these conversations and what skills do we need to build in order to do it effectively. Mm. We all know, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. We all know that we all know that uh, Hippocratic oath um, to do no harm. Uh, that's the oath that um, everybody, in the medical profession, uh, swears to that they will do no harm. Uh, and I love the way you brought this phrase in uh, about again doing no harm. Are, are there people who really believe that even though they are human beings, they are incapable of doing harm? Yes, I think it's actually that the people who can't admit to themselves that they've done harm Mm -hmm. because it it causes them to fall apart. It's like, if I've done harm, they feel like their world is over, that their only option, and this is actually part of what white supremacy culture has given to all of us, regardless of our race, it's like you're either a good person or you're a bad person. If you do harm, you must be a bad person. Who wants to be told told that they're a bad person? Mm -hmm. And so people have these ideas inside of themselves that if I admit I've done harm, not that I can't do it, but if I admit I've done it, then I'm a bad person. So I can't admit it. Yeah. I think there are many of us, Dr. Manning, um, and you know this far better than I do. Um, you're, the, you're, the psycho, you're the psychologist. I am not. Um, but I, 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 in my life, uh, in my work, and my witness, I've run into a bunch of people and been in a variety of conversations with individuals who I think want to champion publicly. They want to champion their deeply held values but they find themselves hesitating. Does that make sense as a question? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's almost like, how do I step up fearlessly for what I believe in? Mm -hmm. How do I say, this is something that's important to me? And I think part of it is recognizing the reasons why we hesitate. You've talked about how divisive our country is. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that means they're navigating. If I go to work and I say, what you're doing at work is wrong, do I run the risk of becoming a target? Do I run the risk of um, all of a sudden not getting certain opportunities at work, maybe even being fired, right? Mm -hmm. Being blacklisted. And so people have these fears. And I think what I invite people to do is to say, and especially for people who are white, I want you to hear that every time you step back and say, I'm afraid of doing harm, I'm afraid of the risks for myself, you're basically leaving us on our own. You're leaving us to bear all the burden of that on our own. So part of it is just saying, I want to step up for my values because this is what it means to be an ally, to take on some of that risk, some of that burden. Her name is Dr. Roxy Manning. The book is The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and activism handbook. You're listening to her right now on Tavis Smiley. Um, a few more minutes left in this conversation, Dr. Manning. Let me let me let me come at this um in a way that I hope makes sense to you. How let me let me preface it. I, I, I believe in accountability um and holding people accountable, holding myself accountable. I don't ever want to be in any relationship, personally or professionally, where there's no accountability. It just doesn't work without accountability, it seems to me. The, the question is how we hold people accountable without perpetuating division or being accused of perpetuating division. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to take this question in two parts, right? Mm-hmm. The first part is whenever I want to hold you accountable, I try to go away from just a judgment about you as a person. You're bad, you're racist, which doesn't actually hold you accountable and probably will lead you to shut down and become defensive. Mm -hmm. And I go into what you did and what the harm is. So when you said this, when you denied this person this opportunity, when you graded the student in this way, you had an impact that's affecting all of the black students, all of the Latinx students in your class. So I'm being really clear on what the observation is and letting them know it's about the behavior, not about the person. That said, I always tell people, I have no control how you're going to take my message. Mm. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to speak truth. And people will run with it wherever they want. No matter what I do, they can become defensive. They can say I'm like inciting division. I don't have control over that. But I will keep engaging with you and keep telling you, I didn't say you were bad. I'm just saying that what you are doing, the action is causing harm. And you get to change that action if you want. Do you want to try that? Yeah, I think it's true that uh, in life, all we know is what we're giving. We never know what people are receiving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I had a friend of mine tell me many, many years ago, um, and I've been wrestling with it for, for for years. And I believe he's right about this. As a matter of fact, I'll see him this week. I haven't seen him in a while, but I'll, we're going to connect this week, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this. And I'll tell him that I raised this issue with Dr. Roxy Manning on my program earlier this week. Um, But he said to me a long time ago, he said, Tavis, there is nothing that we ever have to say or do vis-a-vis another human being that we cannot find a way to say or do in love. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. But there's nothing Mm -hmm. that we ever have to say or do vis-a-vis another human being, another child of God, that we cannot find a way to say or do in love. It's not easy. But that's his frame. Do you accept that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like your friend could have written my book. Okay? <laughs> because this is 
this is part of what I want people to get, mm-hmm. that we can call out harm, we can speak the really difficult messages, but we do it with love. And I always invite people to think about family. And not every family is great, I want to acknowledge that, but in families that work well, I'm not silent when you do something that's not working for you, for mm-hmm. me, but I speak up about it with love. I speak up about it with the idea that we're going to change this so it works better for all of us, and that you know that you still belong, you still matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to help people do. She's a clinical psychologist, certified trainer at the Center for Nonviolent Communication. Her book is called The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and activism handbook Her name is Dr. Roxy Manning, and you've been listening to her on Tavis Smiley. Dr. Manning, good to have you on this program. Thanks for your insights. I enjoyed it immensely. Thanks so much for having me.